Hi, this is Lieutenant Colombo, and you are listening to the Man Up Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough for today. I'll let you go on and listen. Oh, oh, and just one more thing. Enjoy the show. Well, thanks for listening to uh, Man Up, the Sorted Magazine podcast with me, Steve Legg, and my good friend and colleague, Mr. Tony Vino. Hello. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. I'm doing all right. It's good to be here uh, with you, my friend, Steve. Now, we've given some clues there, mate. Hello, mate, <laughs> friends. Buddy, <Yes>. pal, bro. <laughs> Tony, let's talk Significant about Significant of it. No, maybe not. <laughs> Later, my friend. Yeah. We're going to talk about friendship today. Something that's really important. A few facts for you. Go on. See what you make of this. Men have smaller social networks and fewer friends than women. I think we would generally agree on that. I think generally that probably makes sense. Yeah, I remember. But at primary school, when you're in the, when you're in the third year, you know, top top of the primary school, everyone knows you in the school. You know, by everybody. Bit. Yeah, you know, everyone knows you. Yeah, and and that and that almost equalises it because everybody knows everybody in that sort of yeah. situation. Like, say, for instance, my wife will have she has regular times each week that she'll catch up with people. Yeah. So, like Sunday night, it's I'm calling Anna night. You know, and oh, she gives okay, Anna yes. a call. Like I don't do anything like that. I just, you know, I mean, you know, for starters, Anna won't talk to me. Uh, you no, know, she's <laughs> very friendly with me. Yeah. I tell you what drives me mad. My mum phones every Monday at eleven minutes past seven. No, eleven Hang minutes. On. Seven eleven. Seven eleven. <laughs> she sounds convenient. Yeah. <laughs> why need a symbol? Come on, Kajing. <laughs> why? Why? Um, why seven? Seven minutes past. Who knows? Is it just like she just? She's such. Something obviously finishes. Something triggers dinner, in her brain. She's like a, It's bang on. If it doesn't happen, you think, "What on earth has happened?" What? Mom, where is she? Where were you? Minutes past yeah. seven. <laughs> call the ambulance. You're sweating. <laughs> so we're talking about male friendships right now. Get this for theory, right? Most men we spend a lot of time uh, in the workplace, mm-hmm. and many workplaces are super competitive. So do you think? Oh, so we is that are, from this? The study, that's one of the theories. Is this that... isn't a study, this is just this is just a thought. All oh, right, okay, that, yeah. Um, you know, we're programmed to compete against each other in the workplace, and because we spend most of our time at work, we don't create strong bonds, strong mates, strong friendships. Now, that's an interesting uh, uh, thesis. I do, I do agree with the idea that um, competition does get in the way of relating to people on a personal level, because if you see someone, uh, you know, as competition, so you don't, you almost don't see them as a person. They're, they're almost like a, um, yeah, they're, they're a competitor. They're this, this figure that you have to. I think that's a that's a that is a flaw in particularly male psychology. That idea that I'm in competition with everybody yeah. else, and so that's the, that kind of unspoken drive to just keep pressing forward with something, or you know that you're that you that you're competing. But actually, you're not really in competition with people. If we all just say. If we all just go, I'm not in competition with someone else, then suddenly you see people, it humanises people mm. straight off. And what I would add to this, in many businesses, organisations, you do have a hierarchy. I worked for Barclays Bank, as I've said before on these podcasts, mm. um, from 16 to 21 years old. And uh, you would never dream of, of chatting as a mate to a manager. 
Well, really? So like almost like the managers would all hang out together. Kind of, I mean, yeah. our manager, our branch manager, I was in a big branch with four managers and then the ultimate manager, an older guy called Mr. Rhodes. Mm. But he had this thing at a social event, you had to call him Ken. You <laughs> weren't allowed to call him Mr. Rhodes. <laughs> so he would pitch How up. How awkward is that? <laughs> he would pitch up with, with slacks and a, and a V-neck. And uh, good evening, Mr. Rhodes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's Ken. It's Ken. Probably Ken. What would you like to drink? The slacks are on. <laughs> the formality's off. Ken's Ken. But then interesting, but so this hierarchy wouldn't mix with, well, as a 16-year-old, you're oh insecure. You've just left school, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, yeah, and I think there's also, there's, it's interesting, the idea of the degrees of friendship in modern life like you know the idea that facebook uses the term friends mm. for those people that somehow have a an acquaintance connection just know of you yes and um, that kind of devalues the whole idea of friendship quite a lot you know like I, you know i'm, I'm up to about three thousand friends I like i think i think I'd, do you know 10 percent of them i probably not probably not even 10 percent yeah uh, it, it's weird my my dad <laughs> my, dad's English, my dad's spanish right he goes like he goes. Uh, um, I have uh, I have uh, become friends eh, on Facebook with uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Dad, it's not actually him. It is. It has his picture. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, that's not how international politics works. You know, like <laughs> you know, Barack- become friends with Mr. Vino today. Come on. Yes. There's nothing else to do. Barack Obama unfriends um, Ahmed Dinejad. <laughs> George W. Bush likes this because <laughs> things aren't truly real on online. There's no. the, and, and it's interesting how someone, something like Facebook, the phenomenon of Facebook friends, has uh, almost short circuits a level of communication you might have had on a normal level. Catching up with people, you like, you know, when you, you haven't spoken to someone. For a while, yeah. How are you? Oh, yeah. Well, I've just been, I've just been to Gran Canaria. Yeah, no, yeah. I thought pictures. Yeah, it's <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah, it's like technology now is getting in the way of normal human relations. Uh, it used to be a, a good way to get to know a bloke at a venue. Say, if I was doing a gig, he, he's talking about directions. Mm. And now, like you know, he said, "How are you getting home?" And you know, he said, "Well, I was thinking of getting the A14 and the M1." Now she's, "Well, I just tap it into Satnav." And you just see the crestfallen look on the bloke. So he's just like, all right, see you then. <laughs> no, you probably haven't had this with your, your kids talking technology. My children text me, my daughter Amber, 18 years old, Dad, oh. can you bring up a cup of tea? <laughs> I'm sitting downstairs. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had um, um, my wife and uh, housemates call me like when I'm in the house. I, I, and I always go, what, I, what are you calling me for? <laughs> I'm just, I'm like 10 metres away from you. This signal has had to go into outer space, reflect off a satellite dish and come back yes. down because you can't be bothered <laughs> sticking your head around the bedroom door. You won't go to get us a green tea, would you? <laughs> Which is, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I think communication and relationships and technology is a fascinating area because... You know, my generation, we were really sort of, you know, like, the, the internet ha- has just been a huge seismic shift in how we relate to, to each other. And it's, it's weird. Like, I remember calling people, right, when I was, when I was, when I was living at home with my 
parents that we had one phone yeah it was in the the hallway it was on a table telephone table to, telephone table well, next to, it was one of those you know those um dial ones that goes click yeah, click 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 Next to a nice, nice vase of flowers. And, yes. And if you want... Did you have to, a pad of paper there as well for There notes? was a pad of paper for, for messages, yeah. And um, back in the day when we could write. <laughs> and then what had happened... Did you have to wait till after six? <laughs> yes, after six. So when it was got cheaper. cheaper after one as well, didn't it, in the daytime? Yeah. And, and, and it's all right. And then we got free calls for, uh, for local numbers. You know, yeah. we didn't, you didn't put the area code in. And we had one phone up in my dad's room. And sometimes... You'd have this thing like my mum would be upstairs on a cut, and I'd pick up the phone, and and it's her talking to Margaret or something oh, like that. Margaret. So mum, I was I got to call me mate Terry. I've got to go. no. Shh, come on, we're catching up, right? <laughs> Whereas now, so that and that so that phone was plugged into the wall and it was on the table. If I wanted to call, I would, I would have to book it in. Now, my phone right is a seldomly used app. On my phone. Yeah. How weird is that? Sometimes people call me and I'm like, what are you calling me for? Use the proper means of communication. Yeah. Text me or Instagram. It is kind of ironic with these incredible phones that are mini computers. The one thing we don't do is make phone calls. Yeah, yeah, them. anymore. Yeah. I hardly use my love text, WhatsApp, uh, email. The, the iPhones, they're great at everything apart from being a phone. Like the, 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 the early mobile phones were better phones than yeah. these are phones. It's weird, isn't it? Isn't it crazy? It's, it's, so it's really, it's a real paradox, I think, Tony. Communication is so much easier, but in one sense, we find it so much harder. One on one, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, you know this this whole friendship, this brotherhood thing. It's yeah. almost harder. And and so I'm a real exponent when it comes to um, is 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 using technology to our means, mm. but also. It's a platform for communication, but often, in a sense, we're still struggling with the idea of that sometimes we serve it. And I think, you know, there are times, you know, for me, switching off a phone before a conversation or putting it on silent or, you know, putting it away is 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 a sign of saying, I respect you, I respect yeah. you, I'm here, I'm with you. And um, and I think, you know, for guys, we have it, find it hard enough, we're awkward enough at communicating sure. anyway without having an excuse to get out of that moment, you know? Well, get this, hmm. I went out with my wife for coffee the other week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I gave I'm getting her, it. I gave, <laughs> I gave her my phone. Whoa. She can believe it. I found it hard. You know how busy I am with my oh, phone. You're always, you're always on 100 it. 100 emails an hour. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Come back from holiday, it's carnage. Oh, my goodness. 20,000 yeah. emails. She couldn't believe it. But that really meant a lot to her. So as in just for I the said, night. Darling, I said, darling, take... sitting down for an hour, I want you to have my phone. I have my phone. You've got me. You've got me. Just me and you. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think I think we, we, it's almost like creating these little um, little little rituals of saying, yeah. I'm here, I'm yours. Um Phones down, keys keys yeah. down. Let's 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 communicate face to face. Let's eyeball. Now, there's an interesting about you know. I think technology is, is a tool, and it can be used um, to enhance friendship or distance us from each other. But I think there's a, a real thing for guys to be intentional in not just communicating, but actually um, sharing something of ourselves that you know that for me what delineates someone from being an acquaintance mm. to a true friend is how much they know of my true self you know you've got your personality you've mm. got your ego you've got almost like your public self but that kind of interior world that that something that vulnerability 
it's quite an emotional barrier to get over to actually share something where somebody has almost potentially power over oh, you. Well, you know, you know what, the, the, the phrase information is power, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So someone has that, and you need to... Being open and vulnerable and accountable is, is fantastic. I think most of us would think, this is great. But having that right person. Having the right person and, and choosing the right person because cause it's almost, again, technology comes in and can mess it up because you get some people that overshare through technology. Yeah. So they might share stuff that really is for you know someone that you love and someone that you trust and someone that you want to you know really kind of show yet they can just they almost kind of like bypass all that and just throw it up on the internet and you go whoa whoa, whoa that what are you sharing this for mm. and and in a sense then you kind of go what what relationships do you have in your life that actually you can kind of um manage that because it's it, it's fine giving all that information but what about the kind of emotional life that goes that goes sure. with that i'm in a men's group where um what we do is we have a thing called a talking stick and we sit down we do a bit of drumming yeah. get a fire on right there's about six of us yeah. and uh, we do this every month when you pass the stick the person with the stick talks and everybody else listens and the, the rule is well, the person with the t- stick is the person who talks and everybody else and the, and the other rule is people don't even respond to what that person's saying so that you have that space to share and it becomes a sacred space because you're saying I, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it to each other and sometimes you're not even looking for an answer because sure. guys want to give answers that's what, how we're wired we go oh you've got a problem here's, yeah. here's, the, here's the resolution but actually part of the resolution is just that it's, it's, it's there and it's, it's with another human as well well and to, presumably you trust these guys trust these guys 100% and part of the you know there's an agreement that what is said within this yeah. group is confidential amongst us and um, and it, it, it's sacred, you know. We 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 pray before we meet. Um, we, you know, we, we drum, we light the fire, drum, say a prayer, and then as we speak to each other, we speak. You know, we're speaking to God, and we're holding each other in prayer. And that and and, and it's wonderfully transformative. It's beautiful because you, you, when you first start doing it, you almost want to answer what someone says. Yeah. They might have said, "I've gone through this," and you go, "Oh, why don't you try?" It? You basically just have to discipline yourself that actually. You know, it says in the Bible, the truth is already in you. Sure. So the answer to your question or your problem or your or your pain is already there, but it, it's somehow in the process of sharing and holding each other and holding that space that um, that something magical happens. I, I think that's the whole idea of of transformation. You know, is is that you you know you create a, you can create a sacred space and a, a moment that that is. Um, Redemptive, transformative, and and, and um, healing. Yeah, well, it's taken me a long time. I've shared stuff before with people, and it gets talked about, and you think this is flipping unbelievable, and it makes oh. you not want to share it. And you think in many churches we have house groups or cell groups or home groups, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, you think you can share this? No, these uh, you know in this sort of environment. But just recently, three men. I've come into my life. It sounds all very uh, romantic and <laughs> love story, but with three mates, and you think, yeah, I could share with these guys. And we've talked about stuff, not gone terribly deep so far, but we call ourselves the Four Musketeers. I love it. And it's curry and it's walks. And we're not always together. We've only been together a couple of times, but with people in the group, you know, Mark, Mark, and Andy. Dog walks. And D'Artagnan. <laughs> <laughs> we all wear floppy hats and frilly shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Stand out of the way. You're going to get in a fight and beat up one of these days. 
but it's just great and it really releases you some of those things that you only, only you know and to have someone you can trust that you can share yeah and I it's interesting I think the the men that are closest to me I've, I've probably I've got about I've got four I'd say four brothers four close men who will be with me for the rest of my life you know what I mean like almost that kind of friendship that you doesn't matter if I've not, if I've not spoken to them for ages um, we know that we hold each other in each other's you know um, hearts and, and, and you know it's and I think it's an interesting I, I, my the, my relationship circle is I've gone from knowing loads of people to it's it's gradually got less and less and less and less but I would say there's more quality to my friendship. Quality, now. not quantity. Yeah, and I, I say I, that's what I value now. Eventually, you start to go. Actually, there's a lot of people that are circumstantial. Mm. I, I'm in this context or contextual. You know, I, I, I live here. This is where I go, and and I know these people because I'm just around. But then every so often, it is magical. It is a gift from God that that spark of connection where one soul meets another and there's a real connection you can't manufacture that sure. that's a gift that puts all the other kind of contextual relationships in context flipping loving it tony the 60 second life coach with peter horn peter jones is known to us as one of the fiery dragons from the bbc program dragon's den in a recent interview, Peter talks about the remarkable transformation that takes place in him every morning of his working week. He gets up at 6.45 and after he takes his early morning shower, he opens up his sock drawer and he makes his choice. It seems like a really routine part of his day, but actually it's really significant because he says that when he puts on his socks, he's not just a guy who's heading into the office for work. He becomes Peter Jones, the tycoon, and he wants to make a deal. Medical research has shown that, amongst other things, our identity can even influence our physiology. A few years ago, I heard an amazing story about a, a method actress. She played the part of a mother of several children, but in real life, she'd never had any kids. Before each day of filming, she would thoroughly prepare for the role in order to embrace her part fully. Then after each session of filming, it would take another hour or so to revert back to her normal persona. Some time after completing her filming, she discovered that her womb and other internal organs had changed shape, as though she had given birth to several children. In some ways, this is not this story is not surprising because our identity is like the glue that cements other building blocks into place, and it's the strength of that glue is often what sets the most successful people apart from their peers. It's the difference that makes the difference. Having an empowering sense of identity is what gives many people the strength to pursue their goals and determine to overcome obstacles along the way. So choose your words carefully and next time you hear yourself starting a sentence with the words I am, make sure the words that follow are useful and empowering and about who you want to be rather than who you don't want to be. Jobs for the boys. So here we go, Jobs for the Boys. This is a little bit different. We were in Holland last time. We've been down at AFC Bournemouth. Well, today we're in glorious Goodwood near Chichester in West Sussex. And this is a great job. Matt Jones, welcome. Tell us what you do for a job. Um, I'm lucky enough to be a uh, pretty much full-time Spitfire, Spitfire pilot. 
Now my jaw has dropped at what you've just said. You fly Spitfires for a job. I do. I do indeed. Um, it's a it's a great honour to be uh, any part of this aeroplane. Uh, it's a fantastic aeroplane to fly. But more important is the people that it uh, you know that remembers who flew who flew it in battle seventy five years ago. And of course, it's poignant year, isn't it? Seventy five years. Absolutely, it's the uh, seventy five years the um, commemoration for the. Battle of Britain, or the victory in the Battle of Britain, uh, recognised as the 15th of September uh, 1940, uh, and there are still a few Battle of Britain pilots around uh, now in their mid-90s who uh, we think it's very important to commemorate uh, while, while they're still living. So I'm assuming when you're at school, 15, 16, you're speaking to the careers teacher, you know, were, were you able to say, I, I want to fly Spitfires as a career, or, or did this come to you later in life? Have you had normal job? I think my teachers would have laughed at me doing anything more than a menial <laughs> clerical job, to be honest, that I asked them at school. Um, but I do remember the advice at school was either you can be a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor, and that was pretty much it. Uh, and what a, did you do? A, what, did I, what did I study? Yes. Studied engineering okay. at university um, and ended up working in a bank before realising... As you do. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> before seeing the light and, uh, and getting my first flying job about uh, well, 12 years ago now. Wonderful. And tell us about this wonderful flying academy you've got down here at Goodwood. Uh, it's the first um, training, Spitfire training school in the world, approved by the CAA, it, uh, and we've been running, this is our fifth season, we're about to start, uh, and at the end of last year we were also approved to fly non-pilots in Spitfires, which is a first in 25 years in the country, which is very, very exciting uh, for us. We love flying out of Goodwood. It's great to fly out of a, uh, an airfield that has RAF and World War II um, poignancy and significance uh, and off a grass runway as the guys 75 years ago uh, flew them. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone, and I play it tough. You're listening to the Sword of Man Up podcast. This is what we do. Small red plastic one with a white handle, um, <laughs> rusty tin one, one of those orange ones from B&Q. So that's my bucket list. <laughs> How about yours, uh, well, Steve? The question is, five things you must do before you hit 50, I guess, yeah. Tony. Um, and I'm aware I'm getting closer. I mean, who would have thought? You're two years. Oh, yeah, you go, two crikey. Years. Get busy. It's yeah. a project. I mean, our church, they have this group for 50 pluses. Uh, called the uh, called Frontline, and I've always called them the Flatliners. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it? Fifty these days. Fifty is the new thirty. Well, that's it. You know, we we are we are kind of getting used to the idea that we're all going to live a, a much longer time. Which you know 50, what? My Did... granddad died at fifty-five. I mean, back in the day, it's I've got isn't a friend. You've got an... seven years left, Steve. If you're my granddad, I've are got you my a granddad? friend. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely seeing you again. It's like a surprise, surprise. Um, I've got a friend who's an actuary, right? And he reckons they are working on people living to 120. Wow. In the future. Yeah, yeah. That's staggering. It's staggering. So we're not even halfway through our lives. I, and then and you've got people like Walt Disney cryogenically freezing themselves. Yes. To I think come that's back. true, isn't it? That's not he's, an urban myth. He's, he's, I think... Some people can't afford the full body, so they've just got a head. I'm not sure what we're going to do with that. Like, just stick it on a like a buffet cart or something like that. <laughs> Welcome back, Ronnie. Oh, that's good to see. Um, but yes, I, I um, 
we're putting off the facing death. I think is one of the, one of the things is that death is the one universal that's going to come to us all. But and and I think there's actually part part of Christianity is all about the idea of just you know getting used to the idea of cycle of death and life. And without the, without death, there is no new life. So um, as soon as you can face the idea that you're going to die, you you're going to live more 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 kind of focused, aren't you? Totally. So anyway, yeah, taking us down there a little bit, but I uh, appreciate that. Peaks and troughs of emotion. <laughs> so we're talking about some of the things we want to do before we hit 50. Have you come up with any? I've got a couple. Um, I want to learn Spanish, right? I had a moment with my my granny. Okay, she's she's no longer with us. Um, she's just gone to get the coffees. Uh, <laughs> bless her. My, I'll have my, cream in my place. Yeah, crunches. Right, but my my Spanish granny, um, I went over to Spain uh, when I was 17 uh, and to stay with my family out there. I remember sitting across from from my nan. She was sat there. Uh, My granddad had died by this time. And uh, and she was sat eating an apple. And we were sat on this veranda. And I didn't know, like, no Spanish. I remember saying to my granny, I said, Abuela, which means granny. And I was trying to say, hey, you're going to come to my house sometime in, in England. And I said... Um, to Bamos, which means, you know, we go to Mikasa in Inglaterra, maybe sometime. And she burst into tears. Okay, right. And and I just realized that moment I didn't have anything left. I'd used my entire yeah. Spanish vocabulary. I knew enough to make my gran cry, <laughs> but what I had nothing. Say? I just, all I did was just go, hey, abuela. I just kept, I went, abuela, abuela, abuela. Yes. I just changed the sort of tone and sort of patted her on the shoulder. It was really awkward. And at that point, I said, I am going to learn Spanish so I can communicate to my gran and my Spanish family. And uh, so that was 20 years ago. So I'm still, still working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm working on French. We go to France every year on oh. holiday. Lovely little vacation. And this year, last year, I went to the, um, into the little shop mm-hmm. after some pâté. And I said, do you have pâté? And she said, pâté? I said, oui, pâté. <laughs> she said, party? Party tomorrow. I said, no, no, no. No party. Pâté. She said, wait. She got, she got chef out, right, of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And he said, can I help you? And I said, do you have pâté? He said, the party is tomorrow. I said, oh, I want pâté. I said, one moment. And I, I had a... I got a translator thing on my phone. You know, I've always got my phone with me. Yeah. So I went to English, French, pate in French. You know what pate is in French? Um, uh, no. Pate. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at him. He did that. And he said pate. I said like, we we. <laughs> and he said, do you know what he said? We have no pate. <laughs> but I was saying pate. He said pate. I couldn't believe it. We have so no pate. I'd love to learn French, and I do have a French course. That I've not taken out the box yet. But oh, the nice. one thing I'd love to do before I'm 50, I'd love to be in a Bond movie. Really? As a, as a villain? Oh, I could see you as a villain. Stroking oh, a cat. You? Yeah. Oh, now that's interesting. But someone said to me, you've got a, you've got a very likeable face. You have. But, at which, yeah. So you'd be a, a likeable faced villain. That's a new yes. concept. Do you know what? That could really work. Maybe this is where you got two wrong. face. You got like face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have done a bit of extra work in the past, and I've been up at Pinewood recording an advert years and years ago. And I thought I'd love to be in a Bond movie. Something before I'm fifty, being a Bond movie. 
uh, with the new guy, Craig. I think he does a good job. What's his name, Craig? <laughs> Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. <laughs> no, Craig David. No. <laughs> <laughs> Made a bomb villa on Monday. <laughs> I like Daniel Craig because he's got that kind of, um, he's a believable yeah. James Bond. You know, like in terms of all those fights and everything, he's buff, he's gruff, yeah. he's, a, he's a little bit kind of unhinged. Whereas... Like Roger Moore was it's just, just he was a shaped, comic, don't you shaped think? like my granddad. <laughs> I was I like, mean, can you take any man in a safari suit serious? <laughs> that was the man of podcast. They'll be back.